0: And we pick it up in chapter 35, verse 1, and we read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levite cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in. And their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities, which you will give the Levites, shall extend from the wall of the city outward a 1,000 cubits all around, and you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, and on the south side 2,000 cubits, on the west side 2,000 cubits, on the north side 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. This shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which... A manslayer, or one who uh, commits manslaughter, may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you shall give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the large tribe you shall give many, and from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. Remember and recall as we've looked at this wilderness wandering that Israel of course is the nation. Abraham's the father of the Jews, his son Isaac, his son of promise, then the grandson Jacob is Israel. God changed his name to Israel and Jacob had 12 sons from the four different women which become the 12 tribes of Israel. We know as they are in their wilderness wandering that God set aside the tribe of Levi of those 12 to minister to him and serve him in the priesthood and all that the law of God has for the priesthood. So the animal sacrificial systems, we looked at this in detail just a week or so ago where you had the the morning offering, the evening offering, the once a week offering, the once a month offering, the special feasts and holidays offerings. So the Levites did all that, so they ministered to the Lord and they ministered to the people and they ministered on behalf of the Lord to the people and they ministered as uh, mediators between the people and the Lord with the animal sacrificial system. So the Levites are very, very important. So then when the land was promised to them, the land they're going into which God promised them, God took the tribe of Joseph and subdivided them by the grandsons Manasseh and Ephraim and gave them the 12. So we went from 12 minus 1, the Levites out 11, Joseph subdivided makes 12, there's an even 12 tribes, and the Levites are outside that. And during the wilderness wandering, if you recall, that the Levites were in the center of the tent placement. So they are like 2 million people in the desert wandering. And the tabernacle, the central place of worship, the three subdivisions of Levites, the Morites, Kothites, and Gershonites, they all served there. And the cloud was there by day and the pillar of fire by night where God led them at the, what we saw were over 40 stops. And we reviewed last week's text that was also verse by verse and the topical message how God led them through all the stops of their journey. Like the song we're singing earlier, I've known you as a father and a friend. I'll sing the, the goodness of God. And his goodness is coming after us, and he was there for them as he is for us. And so the Levites had been established for 40 years at the center of the nation. So three tribes to the south, to the east, the, you know the north, the west, but Levi... The Levites were in the center. And what's interesting now is we're coming to the promised land. We see the wisdom of God and, of course, the plans of God that Levite isn't going to be a tribe somewhere in the midst of their land. The Levites are going to be everywhere. Isn't that cool? Because if there's only one church, and that's the only church you can go to, and it's Sacramento, it makes it kind of hard to go to church. But if there's many churches throughout the land, and there's churches nearby where shepherds and shepherdesses love the Lord and represent the Lord faithfully, and they serve the Lord, and they serve the people for the Lord, and they mediate between the Lord and the people, and they and they represent Christ, the fullness of those sacrifices, and they guide the people, and they comfort the people, and minister to the people, that's a good thing. See, the Levites were never intended to have their own territory way in the north by Mount Hermon, or way in the south by Gaza, down by Egypt, because they could be the place of spiritual refuge and encouragement and edification could be hundreds of miles from the other tribes. And God wanted all the tribes to grow in their faith, even the tribes on the east side that stayed on the other side, the two-and-a-half tribes, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He had a plan, and he had a plan to build up each generation through his word, through the service of his consecrated saints, the Levites, their families, and their influence on society. He spread out the Levites throughout his land. So amongst the people of covenant, he gave them his special ambassadors whose inheritance was not the land, but the Lord himself, and he spread them all throughout the land. Notice the bigger tribes with more cities, they got more Levites. The smaller tribes with less cities, they still got Levites. It was important that there's Levites that represent the Lord that you can trust, who rightfully handle the word of God, and then you can go to them and you can find truth and encouragement and comfort in life's experiences. God is the good shepherd. King David wrote about the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And no one takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and take it back up again. And We realize throughout the Old Testament in this covenant God makes plenty of references to true shepherds and false shepherds. In fact, the book of Jeremiah says a lot about that. God's a good shepherd. All my life, you have been faithful. Your goodness is running after me. Psalm 23. It's a good, good God. God wanted all of his people, no matter what tribe they're in, large tribe, small tribe, whether they came from much or came from little, wherever they settled in the land as his people, he wanted them to have someone nearby who served the Lord, loved the Lord, feared the Lord, represented the Lord, and taught the things of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? This is the Old Testament, and it's a shadow of things to come because, of course, the church is the fullness of these things now. Because it was to the church that Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we're called to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is dedicated to the church going out of their comfort zone and going to places like Samaria, hitting those Roman roads in the Greek culture with the Roman influence and going all throughout those trade routes and those major cities like Corinth and these different places and establishing churches. Now, there were synagogues there, and Paul would begin in those synagogues, but eventually churches were birthed. And so that's what happens in the book of Acts, and we're the extension of the book of Acts. And so the church is here now. We're the church. We're the stewards of the mysteries of God, as Paul the apostle said, and we're entrusted with the scriptures. We're entrusted with the gospel. We're entrusted to bring this gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, to every generation, in our generation, to the ends of the earth. That is the Great Commission. And we never get lost on that. Our mandates, our essentials, what we stand for and who we are, our identity never, ever changes, no matter what's going on around us, whatever country we're in, or whoever's running that country. It never changes. The position, the message, and the place of the church is salt and light. From now to eternity. Don't you just love that? Like no matter what's going on outside these doors, we don't change what we're doing. We don't have to. Now, we want to become all, thi- all things to all men, like Paul said, so we're not insensitive to where people are at and culture at and different nuances of people. But people are the same in every generation, essentially. They're sinners in need of a Savior. And the church is salt and light. And the gospel is always the gospel. And it's always going to be the power of God by which people can be saved. And the word of God is going to always be the total word of God by which we teach the whole counsel of God. So I'm just so glad that when I start 2021, I don't have to rebrand myself or rebuild or think what we're doing as a church. I'm so glad. It's, what, we, what, what place are we going to run this, this week, Coach? Same place last week. Jesus is Lord. Preach the gospel. Teach the word. Verse by verse. Love, love God. Love people. Well, you know, uh, you know we're, we moved up, uh, like in soccer, we moved up to a bigger league. We moved up a league. We're like Premier League now, you know, like, you know, Tottenham and Man U. I mean, they play. We're going to preach the gospel, Jesus is Lord, and we're going to teach the word of God, the whole council. We never have to change what our essentials are and what we're doing, isn't that? It's, it's so wonderful as a church and for our personal lives. And so think about this where the Levites were intended to be nearby to everybody of covenant in the community, and to the strangers as well. As we told as we go through the text, even tonight with the, the Cities of Refuge, the Manslayers, they're there for the strangers as well. I want you to think about where God has placed you. Now, we can talk about where God's placed worship generation. Obviously, we're here in Orange County. We share the facility with Shoreline, now going on almost 18 years. What a blessing that is. We're sent out Outreach Ministry of Calvary Coast the Mesa. What a blessing that is. We're part of the Calvary Chapel movement, broad and diverse, and what a blessing that is. We have sown the gospel and sown our resources worldwide since we began to be this church. So we're part of the universal church, and we're blessed that way, which is awesome. That's who we are as a church. So we're, 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 we're going out. We're, we're doing what we can. Obviously, a lot of people can't travel right now, and that's a difficult thing. Right? Like, it's kind of hard to just go somewhere. We can't just go to France, or we can't just go to these different places. It is a challenging time. I mean, some people are able to travel, but most of us are not, even if you want to travel. But we have people all over the world right now that we've blessed, and we're, we're sowing that way. So we're supporting salt and, life, salt and light around the world. That's something we're doing. But I want, to think, I want you to think about you. Because what's interesting to me as I've thought about this passage is how our interests, our jobs, our placements, our community, where we live... All these things, the the things we like to do and what we like to be a part of, they're unique. You, personally, you, in your interest and what you gravitate toward and what you like to pursue with your free time or even your working time, because that's the ultimate job, right, when you do what you love to do. Those things are, when you belong to the Lord, those things are of the Lord and for the Lord and with the Lord. And that's you being a Levite in your community with the common lands. Because we're not about owning everything. We're about representing everything. Our inheritance is Christ, and it all gets left behind. Now, we talk about this all the time, but it does. It all gets redistributed and left behind. There's nothing wrong with owning stuff, but you can abase or you can abound, but we still have an inheritance in eternity. And we've talked about that so much as we've looked at their inheritance. But we're like the Levites. You know, God spreads us out. He, he closes doors at work and can create disfavor to put you in a different job and give you favor because that's where he's going to use you. That's the next chapter of your life. He taught you the lessons at this job, and now that you're a Levite, you're being moved from this village to that village because there's different things God wants to do with you there, and there's people that need you there. See, if the church was just a reclusive monastery community, we'd completely fail in the good news of the gospel. We're meant to be in the world. We're meant to be engaging. We're meant to be connected. We're, we're not meant to convince people to come to church or to convince people that the church is against them, we're meant to be out in the world, ministering to the world and engaging them. And as Paul said, becoming all things to all men that may might win them to Christ. That's the great commission. They didn't wait for the world to come to them; they went to the world. In fact, they were probably waiting for the world to come to them in Jerusalem. So God just gave them a good old persecution inside the city of Jerusalem. Stephen gets martyred. Paul is the one who kills him when he saw the Saul of Tarsus. And what happens? They all went out. They were scattered. And then what happened? Churches were birthed and communities were impacted. So within one generation, Paul writes Titus on Crete. He says, I left you in Crete for this reason to raise up elders and leaders in every city. See, Paul had such a vision in serving Jesus Christ that when he'd see an island like Crete, From the one end to the other, he pictured in all those little villages a Levite, if you will. He pictured somebody who feared God, loved God, was a man of character, women of character, who could influence that community. Because when he talks about Christians, that they're drunkards and gluttons and liars, and it's true because that's what their own prophet said about them. But in that same letter, he said, but you're there to appoint shepherds and shepherdesses in these cities. So this wouldn't be these cities. We're like Levites. We're scattered throughout the land to bring light and life, hope, and absolute truth to every community that God sends us to and every sort of walk of life and nuance that you have. You know, you can be at a job for a whole year for just one moment of one conversation that God gives you on a unique day. I often think the whole journey of Vermont, although we got a lot of lessons out of it in 14 months living in New England in 1995 and 96, but that one day coming to work Earlier than I normally would. Because when you get paid minimum wage, you pretty much show up five minutes before work. Um, Unfortunately, that's the way it works. You know, you're not as enthusiastic. You know, you're doing a job. It's not what you love to do. But I was very early that day. And lo and behold, that's when Owen the dishwasher was coming down the stairs. And his head was hung low. And I had a relationship with all these people I worked with. They thought it was the craziest thing that the California kid, this pro surfer, was working at the church and hotel in Burlington, Vermont. They just could not wrap their minds around that under any circumstance, especially when I told them our church met across the street in the O'Connell Lodge on Sundays. It was just like, whoa. Even for New England, that's just so weird. And, you know, and for a region of the world that gives a lot of weird stuff, that was just so weird. Wait, you're working in this hotel and doing a church in that hotel, and you're here to to convert us, you know, that's kind of like how they would break it down, well, I'm here to serve you, and uh, it's a challenge, <laughs> you know, uh, but I was, so on the dishwasher, just said, I'm not, how ah, you doing, he's like, I'm not doing that well at all, and he was in his early 30s, and I'll never forget, I said, let's get together and go to lunch, and it was the most natural fluid thing, but just sitting down with this man, you know, when you're in your 30s and you're a dishwasher, that's kind of like you're not tracking really the way you want to be tracking, I think we know that, and he was a, he was a nice guy, and, um, he just he basically said his life had no meaning no purpose and all I had to do was share the gospel with him. I already gave him my time and attention, I already been praying for him and I shared the gospel with him and he received Christ. It's the only person that that time when we lived in Vermont, the only person that ever received Christ. I felt like I gave a year of my life for one person, but now whenever I talk about the value of one life, I always think of Owen the dishwasher. I do. I th- I think of Owen the dishwasher and like the value of how far Jesus will go for Legion across the other side of the lake and just Wow, like a whole year of our life, what we, what we experienced for 14 months in Vermont for one person, but that's where God put me. He made me a room service food deliverer for 14 months to connect with him on the dishwasher. Now, he's, he's made me a surfer of men in that sense. With surfing, I get a lot of connections with a lot of people. No matter how many times I throw away surfing, the Lord always throws it back in my lap. The Spanish magazine, El Pastor Baran in El Tubo, the photo from the World Masters when I won that. Like some European magazine, El Pastor Baran in El Tubo. Like, I am the pastor in the tube. Like, that's my calling. And you are you who you are. That's your calling. And you're the Levite. We're the Levites. We're salt and light. We're for the lost. We are for humanity because Christ is for the lost, and he's for humanity. And like the Levites, we are spread out with our nuances and we need to realize wherever God's sending us, he's, there's potential opportunities in that and we need to be sensitive to him, especially the engaging relationships that are ongoing. Like you have random moments that someone might, you might have an opportunity to share with somebody or, or be a blessing to them randomly, just a certain thing. But the people that are you around and with, they watch you and they watch you at work for a year. They watch you in an industry for 40 years. They watch how you carry yourself when it's a good day and how you carry yourself when it's a bad day. They see it all we're the Levites and God puts us right in the middle of the cities that we can minister to the people in the cities and he doesn't, he gives us what we need, but he keeps it simple for us so we don't get too complicated and distracted on our purposes. So I really relate to this and I hope you do too, because I want you to think about you as a Levite and where God is putting you and the people he's putting in your life and what interest he's given you and whether it's music or sports or academics or what it might be that where God is putting you and where God's moving you and just the 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 fluid without striving just the fluidity of opportunities to shine a salt and light for such a time as this now we read on about the cities of refuge verse 9 then the Lord spoke to Moses saying speak to the children of Israel and say to them when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation of judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be the cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. Verse 16. But if he, or we can say they, strike him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die and does die, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die and he does die, he is a murderer, the murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall be the murderer. Verse 19. The avenger of the blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred, or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He's a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity or throws anything at him without line in weight or uses a stone by which a man could die, thrown at him without seeing him so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he has fled, where he had fled and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who is anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of the blood because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer, shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to the city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by blood of him who shed it. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. And these are the cities of refuge. Now, contextually, of course, we're talking about murder and manslaughter, two different things, a distinction. In both cases, someone died. In one case, it's premeditated. In the other, it's accidental. So there are six cities set up, three on the east side of the Jordan isn't that amazing? God gave them three cities over there of refuge for that side of the river and then three on the west side of the Jordan, which was the promised land uh, proper, uh, jurisdiction of the promised land. So six of them, and of course these, these cities of refuge off, also were Levite cities, right? Because the Levites got 48 cities. They got 42 plus these six. So one of the things about it, if he had to flee to a city of refuge you're going to a city for sure there's Levites because there was a possibility that you could go to a city and it's not a Levite city. In other words, you're like you run to a village or you're just down and out. It's like, are are there Levites? He's like, no, man, the Levites are 15 miles up the road. They're up there. You know, you got to go one more click up this way and then you'll run into the Levites and the Levites can help you, but that's not something we can help you with. But the manslayer cities were of refuge. The Levites were there. So think about this too, here in the most serious of human experiences where someone has killed someone on purpose or accidentally, these Levites were entrusted with the responsibility to minister on behalf of the Lord to discern on purpose or accident, right? There's a big difference between murder and manslaughter. There's a huge difference, right? Like, it's a massive difference. If it's murder, then it's a great evil and going back to the post-flood world, God said the one who takes life will lose his life. It's that simple. Absolute capital punishment in the Old Testament. And a pretty strong argument from the New Testament where it says in Romans that, the, that uh, the governor doesn't bear the sword in vain, which implies capital punishment as well by most interpretations of that passage. But that's not really my point here. My point is that in the post-flood world, because the world was so violent before the flood that it was wiped out, it was not redeemable, the thoughts and intents of men were all evil, God said, whoever takes life, will have their life taken, in premeditated in that sense of murder. And so that's reaffirmed here in the law in this situation. So these Levites have this great responsibility to arbitrate, to recognize like, is this guy a murderer? Is she a murderer? Or was this an accident? Because the difference is huge. Because if it's murder, someone did it maliciously with hatred in their heart, they're a criminal, and by God's decree, they're to be executed. But if it happened by accident, that's the worst thing ever. They might have been the nicest person in the village and they're out there just cutting wood with everybody else. The axe flies off and kills their neighbor and they're just distraught. Like they would be just distraught. Now, I've spoken to a few people in my lifetime who've taken life or been affected by someone losing a life through them. I spoke with a guy at Calvary Costa Mesa one time who was a drunk driver and killed a 17-year-old. And he served uh, seven years in prison for that and through that, came to the Lord, but just in talking about his testimony, he, he couldn't even like, he couldn't even really talk. He was just, just so torn up even thinking about what had happened. And, you know, you'd have to receive forgiveness from the Lord. You would try and hope for forgiveness from the family. And then you would hope somehow you could forgive yourself with the Lord's forgiveness and get on and live your life as best you could. Don't forget that uh, David, Moses, and Paul all took life as well. They all were murderers. Moses killed the, the one, the Egyptian. Uh, Paul killed Stephen, uh, which he held himself accountable for, and others. He said he was consenting to their death. And then um, David, of course, killed Uriah, was, re- was held accountable, accessory to murder in the death of Uriah when he stole his wife. So it's not that murder can't be forgiven. In those cases, it obviously was, but it's such a serious thing to take a life. I once had someone who was serving a, a long prison term write me a letter from a prison asking if I truly believe they could be forgiven for murder because they they killed their stepfather. And I said, absolutely, like a Levite. I said, you can absolutely be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. You may not ever be restored to society, but you can fulfill your ministry where you're at, what God has for you where you're at. And that's not that uncommon. Remember, Johnny Cash used to go to all those prisons and minister to all the inmates and share the gospel with them and share gospel songs with them. To encourage them in their ministries, so life doesn't end just because someone's serving life for murder. And if someone is, or wrongfully charged for murder, or an injustice, or a manslaughter charge, it's heavier for various reasons. Um, The Levites are still there. You know, we can still be there. We have supported people in ministry who go to jails and minister to people in jails and prisons as a church and as a ministry. In fact right here in one of my more recent prayer lists, this master list of things I'm praying about. It comes from the Calvary Coast and Missionary Prayer Book. There are a number of people here that we've already supported and done stuff significantly for and going around the block, but there are some people on this list here. Now, most of this is worldwide, but there's some that are domestic that come from the Calvary Coast and Missionary Book who serve in law enforcement and who serve in the prisons. Because I think we just got to have a heart for people that are in that situation, and we got to care. We've got to realize there's a ministry there. So uh, while we haven't we done stuff in the past, we're actually on the cusp this year in the next few months of doing something more uh, domestically oriented for prison ministry, for people ministering to people in prison. It's just got to be so heavy to have taken someone's life. There was a girl in Vero Beach. There's was an accident that affected the youth group there at Calvary Chapel Vero Beach because my son-in-law, Nate, is the youth pastor. He's been the youth pastor for years. Incredible, thriving youth ministry. So that means, of course, my daughter, Hannah, Our daughter ministers to a lot of these young people. They've seen a couple, you know, seven years now of doing this. So, you you know, and they're still there just doing incredible ministry. But there was an incident years ago where one of the kids was hit and killed by a car on the causeway. You know, the bridges that connect the mainland to the the coastal strips there. And it was a really sad story because the kid had been drinking and he was riding a bike on the causeway. And they're goofing off late at night with no lights on their bike. She was working at a bar and she was just above the legal limit. She had been drinking, and it was the perfect accident or the perfect situation for a really bad situation to happen. Just a freak thing where they just hit each other, and he died. And I've seen the footage of when she was sentenced, and she's a young girl like young girls that go to our church. And it was just one really bad decision on that night, and she went to prison. And recently, when I was in Vero Beach, Hannah told me she's out now, that she's you know been paroled or whatever. I thought, well, that's good because they gave her seven years. And I think she probably served two and a half years. So um, we can never bring the kid back. They've, they've named a, a pier after him right there in Vero Beach. If you ever go and visit our family there, you'll, you can see it. And you can't bring him back. But, man, when that girl was sentenced, I felt, I, I felt such empathy for her because how many of us have driven a car under the influence of alcohol? You don't need to raise your hand. But how many of us have driven a car under the influence of alcohol and could have done the same thing? I mean... That certainly could have been me. I mean, my sister had two DUIs, right? It took her two years to get her license restored. It could have been her. Think how horrible you would feel. And now this, this girl's in her mid-20s. She's a convicted felon having done time trying to rebuild her life from being previously a cocktail waitress. I've prayed for her the entire time, by the way. That was one of two major tragedies that hit the youth group in Vero Beach in the last five years. She was a manslayer. It wasn't intentional. She was held accountable for having been drinking and getting in a car and driving. The judge took into account that the kid also had been drinking. But she didn't wake up that day and say, I'm going to go kill someone. She just made bad decisions like many of us have done. The older we are, we know how that works out. And people we love and know that have made bad decisions as well. So in this situation, there's ministry, but there's justice under the law. And the Levites who are spread out salt and light they bore the responsibility to make sense of it. The heaviness of the capital punishment, though, is the avenger of the blood would be the, the one to execute the person. And I just don't know, like, I, I've i never experienced this, you know, so I don't know what this would feel like, and I know of many injustices, and I just, I just don't know. There's so many reality TV shows where people have injustices and they want to get back at somebody or someone jumps in the courtroom and kills someone or whatever, and it's just horrible what evil humanity can do to one another. But... There is something here that's very uh, sobering in that the person who was affected, so let's say your spouse was accident, was purposely killed by someone else, the neighbor that did a dispute with go on for years, which often happens in neighborhoods, and they killed them. And said, oh, it was an accident. But the judge goes, no, nah, it was on purpose. Like, you can't bring your husband back, but you would be the avenger of the blood. So wives, you'd be executing the guy. That would be a hard thing to do. How do you do that where you don't have malice in your heart, but you're you're fulfilling what the Lord has to execute judgment but it would still be a right judgment you understand like the Levites make that call and that's a just call and they say you are the avenger of the blood and it'd be like so if my sister had to have her blood avenged or something she'd say like Joey can you come be the avenger of the blood can big brother do that and I probably would right I don't know exactly how this would work within the law but this is serious stuff life is serious though right I mean, that drunk driver killed four teenagers over here two years ago at Magnolia, Beach, at Magnolia and PCH. And we went by that with the signs of those kids' faces at the corner there for a year and those grieving parents in the Indian Empire, not going to their kids' graduation, not going to their first year of college and moving in the dorms. Murder and manslaughter are serious things that take someone's life. It's serious stuff. I can't drive by Magnolia and PCH and not think about those four kids celebrating and graduating from high school not drinking and being killed by a girl who had already had DUIs and now she's wrecked her life and going to jail for decades. There's some tragedies you just, even under the blood of Christ, man, they're just hard to accept the redemption of them. They are redeemed under the blood of Jesus Christ, but it's just so hard. This is a serious topic, isn't it? This is serious stuff. People commit violent crimes against each other all the time, every day. My nephew's a cop in San Diego. What he has to see and deal with is horrific. So we understand these things. But you know, we trust in the Lord. We look to the Lord protect us. And we say like John the Baptist, a man or woman can receive nothing. A man or woman can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord. So we just, we're about eternity. And any injustices we think we might see or live or experience, we know we give those to the Lord. But man, some hurt at a level that I hope I never know in the human experience. And I hope you never know. But we trust in the Lord. But, you know, it's nice to have a place to go when you're guilty, isn't it? And it's been well pointed out that the cities of refuge are a type of Christ. Because when you float, fled to those cities, they were a safe place. And you were only safe in the city. You were not safe outside the city. And as Pastor Chuck used to say, oh, you're secure in Christ. You're secure all right in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're not secure. If you walk away from Christ and you think you're still secure, you're not secure. You're secure in Christ, like the city of refuge. And not only that, there was no other place for them to go. And there's no other place for us to go as manslayers but the city of refuge. There's no other city that can save us from the the, the avenger. There's only the cities of refuge. You have to be in the city, and they're a safe place. And that's exactly how Christ is. Of course, for us, the difference is they were guilty of taking life, whereas in our case, Jesus gave his life. But we still need to go to the city of refuge because Jesus is a refuge, and we still got to be saved. So that's the difference between the, the cities of refuge and Jesus. Now, the last chapter tonight, chapter 36, as we finish Numbers, is... The daughters of Zolophad, the, the, the Zolophads, the daughters of Zolophad, and they come back up, and they're so awesome. We did a whole topical on the da- daughters of Zolophad. So, guys, it's the ladies, it's the da- daughters of Zolophad again. Chapter 36, verse 1. Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Micah, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, and they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zolophad to his daughters. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe in which they marry. So it will be taken from a lot of our inheritance. And when the Jubilee of the Children of Israel comes around, the year of Jubilee, then the inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribes, the tribe of our fathers And then Moses commanded the children of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, What the tribe of the sons of Joseph speak is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zolified, saying, Let them marry whom they think best, but they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers, and every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so did the daughters of Zoloft. For Mahala, Tirzah, Hogla, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zolophad, were married to the sons of the father's brothers. They were married to the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. These are the commandments and the judgments which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from Jericho. So the daughters of Zolophad pop up again here, and... You know, what so Moses says he speak. These guys speak what's right. I like, just got my attention because remember when the daughters of Zoliphad came before Moses. Moses goes in the Lord, and the Lord says, "Hey, they speak what's right." I just think that's interesting because you don't see that term so often. But when Moses went to God, saying, "Hey, the daughters of Zoliphad are here, and they want their they want pops' property," and God says they speak what's right. So it's kind of interesting that here when they come up again, now the 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 the, uh, the uncles, you know, they're like, "Hey, you know, they're at dinner time in the Bedouin tent, and they're like, thinking like, you know, I'm thinking like." Those daughters of Zolophad, you know, your, your nieces, they marry and they marry to the tribe of Zebulun. The property that belongs to our tribe is going to go to their tribe. Like, what's up with that? And the same thing could happen with Asher marrying Gad, and all the land's going to get confused and muddled, and it won't be distinct the way God set it up with the different heirs for the different tribes. Well, Uncle Aaron, I think we should go talk to Moses, see what he has to say about it. So here they come, the sons of Joseph, and they're like, they're all relatives. They, they know the daughters. It's like, hey, don't look at them while we're talking to Moses right now. You know, some of those family things, like, hey, don't look at the daughters. So Moses, we're thinking that if they marry someone from another tribe when the year of Jubilee, it all leaves our, our, our tribe and our family. Like, what's up with that? Don't look at them while you're talking about it, right? And then Moses what you speak is right. This is very interesting to me because, yet again, we're reminded here that there's wisdom in compromise, Godly compromise, good compromise. And there's also a bigger picture. Just because we have the rights for something doesn't mean our individual rights supersedes the rights of the general public and other people. See, the concept of America actually is equal rights but not special rights. And you always get trouble when you have special rights. And in a way, the daughters of zolified as they were to see their inheritance which was just, and God says it's right, it creates a situation by which there can be confusion, discord, and problems, even though it's right and just, as God said so. It's right that the daughters get the inheritance the sons would have gotten had they been sons. That's right. But what's not right is for them now to be married into the other tribes and those inheritances moving from where God designed them to be to the other tribes where he didn't design designed to be and it usurps God's allotment because how was the land distributed through the tribes? By lot, like rolling of the dice. And who controls the lot? The lot belongs to the Lord, we're told in the Old Testament. So God determined the land. We just looked at 12 men, including Caleb, who was selected to divide the inheritance once they got into the land. So it would usurp Caleb and the other 11 men under Joshua and Eleazar dividing the land by the lot by which the Lord guides to then have the daughters of Zolophad say, well, we got inheritance, now we're going to marry this guy from Zebulun, and the property now goes to the tribe of Zebulun in the middle of our tribe of Joseph. That would be very confusing, right? It's difficult. Life is difficult because this is fair and this is fair. This is right, and this is right. It's right that the Dars of get their inheritance just as if they were sons. But it's also right that the land stays in the tribes as God decreed by his lot. Their rights don't usurp God's will and determination of where the tribes are and what's been given to the tribes. So we have this sort of perplexing Rubik's Cube type of situation. And this is where great leadership comes into play for us. Now, obviously, the Lord resolved this. But life brings these things. I mentioned last week when I was at the pastor's conference practicing Downey where Odin Fong, the legendary Calvary pastor who pastors down the street here, he was just dropping all these wisdom nuggets with these pastors. But he said something that just, you know, everything, sometimes when I teach for 45 minutes, it hits you a certain way. Someone else didn't even hear it, right? I get that. But Oden Fong, he said, do you realize that when you're spirit-filled, you have access to all the wisdom in the universe? Because Christ is our wisdom. The wisdom of God is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we're told if we lack wisdom, we can ask God, and he'll give it to us liberally. And Oden Fong said, do you realize? He was talking about like being smart is one thing. Being spirit-filled is a much more important thing. If you can be spirit-filled and smart, that goes good, like educated and spirit-filled. But if you're educated and not spirit-filled, it doesn't mean anything. But if you're spirit-filled, you have all the wisdom in the world. And and the human experience is difficult. As I've been studying the time of Queen Victoria and the rise of Prussia and the impending things and allegiances, Russia, France, moving toward a, a world war and these things, a colonial power and all this colonialism and all these things, you realize, like, in Parliament and with the Queen and King George and all these different people and William, you know, who, you know who's related to Victoria, but he, she was Prussian, even though she was the Queen of England. And, you know, it's just, it's just so complex. And you, you work at the Rhinestad and you work at the Parliament and you're trying to work these things out so you don't all go to war and kill each other in the Great War. And they still went to war. There is wisdom in the ability to find middle ground, to find peace, the will of God, and what's equitable and works best for everybody. You do it in your marriage, right? You do, or you should. You do it in church leadership. You do it in city councils with mayors. You should be able to do it as a governor with assembly. You should be able to do it as a president with a congress. You you have to work. Catherine the Great tried to bring these great reforms to Russia around 17. 65, and there were really good reforms. It was to elevate the serfs, who were basically slaves by the millions, and give them rights to begin to live a a good life that's better than being a slave. She put together a parliament. The parliament couldn't get anything done. And in the end, 200 years later, the Bolshevik Revolution liberated all the serfs and took everything and redistributed all the wealth of Russia. Catherine's great power base refused to concede and give up power to the serfs, and she had friends that said, someday we're all going to regret this because he's this going to come back to hurt us. And the Bolshevik Revolution and the rise of the Soviet Union is a result of that. We have to find middle ground. It's so hard for human beings to find middle ground. We have to find the place by which we respect what God's doing in these people's lives while we understand we're being faithful to what he's called to do in our life. That's what we have to do. I greatly appreciate my son-in-law's radio ministry, which is called Middle Ground. Because Nate Gallagher is always looking for the middle ground, how I can bring Christ to these people and meet them halfway, and how I can bring the word of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord to this situation, and I can give up some of my rights to bless them with good rights for them. That's what we have to find. That's wisdom, that's great leadership, not totalitarian, authoritarian leadership. But the ability to work with other people, find solutions to real problems in the human experience, and compromise. we got to give up this if we're going to get that. And so the daughters of Zoliphate, you do have the inheritance. And you can marry someone from Gad or Asher or Naphtali. But if you do, you leave your inheritance. That will be your choice. So you want to marry outside the tribe? Go ahead. The property that you receive from your father, that stays in the tribe. That goes to your cousins. Oh, okay. We'll just count the cost. Or you can marry in the tribe and you keep the inheritance. And your husband and you merge your wealth together. You become a dream team of equity and you're just rolling for the tribe of Joseph. So you can team up this way or but if you really want to marry the guy down there from Zebulun Nephtali, because love's like that, just count the cost. And we'll come to the wedding. We'll support you. It'll be a wonderful day. It'll be like a wedding and Fiddler on the Roof. It'll be beautiful. But uh, the inheritance stays here. I really like this. So the application is this. We want to have the wisdom of the Lord like Odin Fong was sharing. And it's all available to us. And in disputes and in difficult things within our homes, within our neighbors, within our churches and our communities, We need to be the peacemakers. And we need to be willing to compromise what is compromisable. Paul had Timothy circumcised, and it was a good compromise to go forward in the ministry. But he did not have Titus circumcised because it was a bad compromise to go forward in the ministry. Because one represented more ministry, the other represented a different gospel. And this is the kind of wisdom we need for such a time as this. So may God grant you and I, all of us, wisdom to just know sometimes what we need to give up in our rights so that good things can happen and things keep going forward with the Lord. Because we don't want to be rigid and stiff necked. So many things that we think are absolute really aren't absolute. They're just absolute to us. So we need to know how to apply the word, rightfully divide and apply the word of God to situations that show maturity, show humility, show grace and show truth. For such a time as this. Be the peacemakers without compromising truth, but advancing things and knowing what we need to give and take in that situation.